totally at the World Cup. We take you to quarters now. Pujamista. into the knockouts with the game of the tournament. France 4, Argentina 3. Argentina left unhappy by Mbappé. He is Killian. His performance was thrilling. He's worth 180 million. Now he cannot stop. And on a big night for PSG forwards, Edinson Electric as Uruguay turn out Portugal 2-1. For them, on Friday, it's a big quarter-final meeting with France. Sunday, another pair of quarter-finalists decided as Spain take on Russia at the Luzhniki and Croatia meet Denmark in Nizhny Novgorod. It's all coming up on the Totally Football Show and the World Cup. Sensational day of World Cup action, listener. And to discuss that and so much more, James Horncastle. Hello. Jack Lang. Good evening. Tom Williams. Hello. Wow. What a start to the knockout stages of the 2018 World Cup. Tom. Sensational. Clearly the group phase was absolutely fantastic. And I suppose a fear that we've all harboured since is that the knockout phase might prove to be a little bit cagier. But couldn't have asked for a better start with that absolutely thrilling France-Argentina game. And hopefully that now sets the scene for the rest of the knockout games. Well, yeah. And immediately the one on Saturday evening that followed that incredible 4-3 match between France and Argentina was pretty special itself. But, Jack, I feel we, we need to begin with the uh, the seven-goal thriller this afternoon. The first World Cup game in history to finish 4-3 in 90 minutes. Yeah, amazing stat that. And I think just a madcap game that never felt that it was settled. There always seemed to be something going on. Uh, you had the momentum shifting both ways. It looked like France were going to run away with it at some point. Then Argentina somehow clawed their way back into it. France went again and then Argentina still managed to set up a dramatic finish with that late Aguero strike. And it was again, the kind of game you couldn't really take your eyes off. Steve C, among one or two people uh, tweeting in, don't cry 4-3 Argentina, oh. <laughs> which is pretty neatly done. It was a day, James, that saw the World Cup lose football's two biggest stars... Messi in the afternoon, Ronaldo in the evening. But in Shrine, the newest football megastar in Kylian Mbappé. Yeah, and I think um, this was a performance from France that I think we've been waiting for, at least from some of their individuals. And for Mbappé, when he won the penalty for the first goal, it was reminiscent for me of uh, Michael Owen uh, breaking away uh, against Argentina um, in 1998. Of course, Owen scored... Mbappe gets taken down, but just to see the breathtaking pace with which he left at least three Argentine players in his dust um, was incredible. And he looked on it from the get-go. Before that penalty, um, he actually won the free kick uh, from which Griezmann hit the bar. And you just knew that you were in for a special afternoon, at least from Mbappe. I don't think we could, could see the, foresee the rest of it unfolding in the manner that it did, but he truly delivered. Julian McFarlane tweeting, Liberté, Egalité, Mbappé. <laughs> Very nice. France in the opening 15, 20 minutes looked so dominant. Mm. They looked like 
the World Cup was theirs for the taking. And then they let Argentina back into this or, or Argentina fought their way back in? What happened, Jack? Yeah, I think it's, it's something funny about this France team that even when everything looks set up for them to uh, gain a bit of momentum to really push on this. I don't know whether it's conservatism or uh, something that comes from the manager, but they just slightly shrunk into their shells again. And you rightly said in that opening uh, period, Mbappe's pace was terrorising them. Every Argentina corner looked like a chance for France, the way they would just break the other end of the pitch. But yeah, somehow it just slightly slipped away from them. You have to say, though, that both of Argentina's goals were from nothing. Mm. I mean, granted, France should have closed down Angel Di Maria for that first goal. And, you know, the second goal wasn't amazing defending by any means. But they were both uh, goals from nothing, I would say, rather than from any real pattern of play that Argentina put together. Well, there were seven goals in, in, in total. And the momentum, as you mentioned, swinging back and forth. Just a, a roller coaster ride, I, I, I'd call this game. It began with that early period of, of pressure, which paid off with a penalty which Marco Rojo conceded because basically there was nothing else he could do, I guess, with Mbappé, blasting past him, and Griezmann puts that away. But then, completely against the run of play, comes an extraordinary equaliser from Angel Di Maria. Into the middle. Big drive! Goal! It's tied! Di Maria! Well, to quote Danny Dyer, he absolutely David Cameron that. He did. Uh, as Jack was saying, Argentina hadn't really had a chance and France made the mistake of being so obsessed with looking at where Messi was. They left this huge gap. But even so, Di Maria takes aim from 30 yards. He's not really had a kick in the first half. Absolutely smashes one into the top right-hand corner. France find themselves 1-1 at half-time. And then within minutes of the restart, find themselves a goal behind. Again, a goal that it's hard to attach too much blame for. They half-clear a free kick. Messi gets to Messi, it. who puts it back in. And it mm. sort of hits Gabriel Mercado. Lloris is wrong-footed. And then we found ourselves in this situation where France, having played very well and having deservedly taken the lead, find themselves behind and... The question then is, can they react? Are we going to find out what this France team has got you know, going for them? And the answer is it's got this. Oh, my gosh! Oh, my! Forced international goal. Look at the spin on that. Absolutely stunning goal by Benjamin Pavard. Absolutely nothing Armani can do. Doesn't get his feet set. This thing travels in the back of the to Goal of the tournament for now, yeah, Jack? I think, so. I think so. It was uh, obviously reminiscent of Nacho's for Spain, but I think the difficulty level was slightly higher. The ball was uh, almost so This is the right really. back, This is, yeah, Benjamin Pavard. Pavard, who not even really a right back at all times. You know, he plays centre-back for Stuttgart. Right. Looked somewhat uncomfortable when he has to go forward like I think he's a decent player but he's by so, no means a natural attacking fullback he's so, also given away the free kick for uh, for Argentina's second goal and played Mercado one side mm. wow okay so now he's wandered upfield but not that far upfield he's a long way out from goal yeah I think he's outside the D the ball is almost at hip height which I would say differentiates it from the Nacho one and he kind of cuts across and under it, sending the ball spinning uh, in a beautiful trajectory, really, just curling into the top corner. Best thing about it, I think, was there was one camera angle. The France subs were warming up 
behind the advertising holdings and there's one camera angle and the ball just is flying towards Corentin Tolisso's face who's just absolutely loving it and just kind of greeting the ball it's just gorgeous goal magnificent and even in the build up you have this fantastic pass from Blaise Matuidi down the inside left channel to Lucas Hernandez who just gets to it before it reaches the byline and cuts it back so you have one fullback crossing for the other which is a very undeshaw thing he generally likes his fullbacks to play a bit more conservatively but they both got forward and yeah absolutely sensational goal wow and then Killian Moon killing me softly Killian in the name of Bappy <laughs> steps up with, at an age James when statistically you're more likely to be dying in the Vietnam War he scores two goals in three minutes at the World Cup well the last teenager to do that at a World Cup was was Pele stop uh, famously so he's in good company there but um, that third goal talk about making space where there is none just with exceptional speed the ability to get it out of his feet um, and then put it away and again France had got in down Argentina's right hand side from then on you just thought nah it's not coming back for Argentina now. It's over. Um, and uh, the, the fourth goal, again, was just an illustration of just how easy it was for France to cut through this Argentina side with just maybe three or four chances, uh, three or four passes, and they were there from one end of the other, and they were, they were in. And, um, of course, it helps when you've got someone with not only Mbappe's pace, but Pogba's ability to drive mm. with the ball. Um, yeah, he was just able to just shrug off people, you know, cover cover so much ground and had an excellent game, I thought. Are France going to win the World Cup? You'd certainly back them a lot more now than, than you would have done before that game. And I think you'd probably have them down as favourites on the back of that performance, given that we've not seen what the other big teams are going to do yet in the last 16. The question all along with France has been, mm. can they click? Can they find the winning formula? What we saw from them against Argentina is what they can do against sloppy opposition. Um, they're not going to get anything like as much space against Uruguay in the quarterfinals. So I suppose now that the question is how much confidence... I mean, that will have given France an enormous amount of confidence, but the the test that faces them in the quarterfinals is very different to the one that, that Argentina presented them with. So they look, they look for the first time, I think, fully the sum of their parts in that game today. And yeah, the thought of them winning it doesn't seem as... as as remote as, as I felt it was um, mm. a few weeks ago. And possibly they don't feel that either now. It seemed like in that second half that they kind of woke up to their potential as well. Well, it's, that was the really thrilling thing. It was, it was a team finding its feet. It was, it was France's first real challenge. They'd not turned up prior to that. They'd basically done the bare minimum in the group phase. They'd had 20, 25 good minutes in the first half against Peru. Apart from that, it was basically doing the minimum amount and getting through. And we've all been waiting to see this group of individuals click. And we saw that today. And that could be the trampoline that, that sends them, you know, sends them on to glory. It's worth saying as well that they're best player and I know Mbappe is the rising star but Antoine Griezmann remains their best player and he had quite a subdued mm. game I thought so I think there's still even room for improvement in the final third you know if he really comes to the party at the same time as Mbappe does for example I think there could be real fireworks Alright but why might they not win the World Cup James? Well because uh, I think Argentina gave an example of um, how not to play against France which is um, to play with a high line to be sloppy untidy in possession and to give you know one of the fastest players in the world all um, the space in the world to work with, um, and I don't think, as Tom said, um, Uruguay will will give them that at all. 
You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Argentina head off. France were merciless. The quarterfinals will be messiless. Mm. But they will have Uruguay in after their 2-1 victory Saturday night against Portugal. And once again, two very special goals from a PSG forward, Tom. Yes, Edinson Cavani. And I think he's had a a really impressive tournament. I mean, I don't think he scored until the last minute of of the final group game. But I thought he looked sharp right from the start of the tournament in a way that Luis Suarez didn't. Suarez looked short of fitness, looked a little bit sluggish. Cavani has just looked on it right from the start. And then we saw tonight against Portugal peak Cavani not just the two goals the header that lovely side foot finish but also just the hard work I mean there was one point in the first half where he ended up covering back at left back Um, so he really set the tone for the entire performance with his industry and then ends up being the match winner with the two goals Mm. Actually it's fair to say that Griezmann was doing a similar job for for France tackling back and and, uh, robbing uh, Messi of the ball in the penalty box Yeah he did both very diligent players Yeah Um, Two fabulous goals the first one James I think is your favourite ever breakaway header goal is it <laughs> something like that a favorite one two goal favorite one two we hear so much in match analysis about strikers not being close enough together these two could not have been further apart um, in the build up it's a it's a magnificent one two first the pass <laughs> We were all sat on the sofa watching this and we're like, wow, that is an incredible ball he's just played out to the opposite flank to Suarez. Obviously, the camera then zooms in on, on the Barcelona forward. You lose all track of Cavani. The ball comes straight back. But across. Suarez doesn't. He's watching him. Exactly. Picks him out perfectly. And uh, you know, Opta tell me that uh, since 1966, only two other um, strike duos have combined for more World Cup goals than Uruguay's Edinson Cavani and Suarez this um, tournament with four, and that's uh, Lato and Sharmak for for Poland and Balak and Miroslav Klose huh. for Germany. So remarkable. But what uh, you're quite right is marks this goal out is the, the distance, the sheer distance and ease with which they could find themselves at such long range, and also the finish, mm. <laughs> yeah. which is pretty unorthodox. I think you know you needed maybe two, three uh, different camera angles to finally isolate whether it was his cheek, whether it was his chest, whether it was his shoulder. Um, Regardless of what it was, the fact that he was able to control it and direct it on goal, and you, you still see him follow through as if he's heading the ball. Just a, a, a magnificent finish from, from Cavani, who um, scored the winner with Uruguay's only shot in the second half. They had 30% possession um, after the interval, which just goes to show once they got in front, they were quite happy to basically just, Godin, Jimenez, we're going to back you to close this out and close it out they did. For all that, though, Portugal did equalise. Pepe, uh, with the first goal that Uruguay have conceded all year. Yeah, a rare bit of, I think, miscommunication between the Uruguay centre-backs. It wasn't too clear whether he was Diego Godin's man or Jose Maria Jimenez's man. And that hardly ever happens with Uruguay. The first goal they've conceded in almost 600 minutes, as you said. And, yeah, I think that would be a slight concern for them. But you look at how the game developed after that, Uruguay taking the lead again. And although Portugal uh, monopolised possession in those final stages, I don't think they ever looked like they were really banging on the door. They were getting the ball out to the fullbacks a lot, who were crossing very poorly, I think. Rafael Guerrero on the left looks a player bereft of confidence. And on the other side, 
Uh, Ricardo Pereira, who's Leicester bound, I thought his delivery was poor in the main. And they were just lumping crosses in and didn't think they were really, really mm. making much headway. Ronaldo did his shorts thing for that free kick, but to no avail. But then, uh, really, really worryingly, Cavani going off with what I think is it, is it a calf injury? Is that what they're saying? It looked like a calf injury, yeah. He had his, he had his calf taped. Um, when he was sitting on the bench and by, the, by the, the faces he was pulling as he went off he looked to be in a lot of discomfort and also at the final whistle we saw him sitting on the bench with his with his head down looking quite glum uh, and given that the next game is only on Friday you suspect that's probably him out of it unless the Uruguay medical staff can work a miracle Yeah, we have seen some remarkable comebacks uh, or we're about to they're saying that Kvist might be uh, playing for Denmark tomorrow with, uh, despite having two broken ribs in the and a punctured lung a is punctured that right? A punctured lung as well yeah. in, in the opening group game for Denmark and, and also who's the other players coming back? Alan Jagoyev Jagoyev yeah so it can be so done fingers crossed because if Cavani's not available for Uruguay when they take on France I mean it's probably going to be spelling fan Christian Stuani formerly of Middlesbrough so, yeah, that's uh, no, it's not entirely the same thing. <laughs> not at all, no. Right. A big step down. OK, if Cavani does play, can Uruguay, can they, can they halt the incredible French Mbappé-powered machine thing? I think they can. Um, I think um, their midfield tonight, I thought Bentancourt, who's received a lot of hype, uh, I thought he delivered tonight with some, some, I think when he needed to look after the ball, he did that very well um, for, for Uruguay. And... We've seen this team um, not need too many chances. Like Suarez's hold-up play at times to just take a little bit of pressure off the off the defence was was impressive. I think they will miss um, if he's if Cavani's not there that ability to just um, track back and add an extra man not only in midfield but sometimes in defence. But um, if he is fit, yes, I think they can do it. All right. Well, we'll find out Friday, as you say, Tom. That quarterfinal will be coming up. Sunday, meantime, we'll be finding out another two quarterfinals. Awfully exciting this. Uh, when Spain, Russia, Croatia, and Denmark go at it, we'll talk about them after this. Unbelievable! Unbelievable! This. Yes, yes, yes. What a great World Cup for great World Cup goals this has been, Jack. <laughs> Cavani's today, that Di Maria one, that was pretty special. The Pavard, insane. I mean, it, what, what's your top ten of, of, of top World Cup goals? This just from this tournament, a whole top ten. Yeah, I mean, there's loads. I reckon we'll fill it up dead easy. All right, go on. You got Pavard, parfait from Pavard, parfait, oh, nice. Uh, Nacho, as we're on the similar yeah. one, Charismas, Charismas, Travella, lovely goal. I thought Dennis Cherishev, another outside of the foot job. Yeah, it's... Messi against Nigeria. Oh, Messi's thigh toe thwack. I thought Isco for Spain was a lovely team goal. Yeah. Mertens, you remember that dipping one? Feels like a long time ago. That Doesn't one, it? Yeah. Coutinho against Switzerland, where it was out until it was in. That what was, was that? Was that a kind of bending? I yeah. can't remember that at all. Yeah. No. Son Heung-min against Mexico, yeah. similar vein. Right. Modric. Modric against Pow. Argentina. Yeah. Uh, Shakiri. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. No. Okay. Maybe. Tony Cruz against Sweden. Well, I suppose. And what about Harry Kane's penalty? Eh. <laughs> <laughs> Which one, though? Two, two solid well, They were penalties. both great. I don't think anyone's taken a penalty as well as Harry. Well, Andreas Granfis scored a good penalty the other day. Yeah, he did. Similar, yeah. And he's a centre-back, so... Mm. Goals, eh? <laughs> For me, some of the best bits of football. They're, they're always a highlight. Yeah. They're always a highlight. Talking of goals, interesting... Oh, yeah. I mean, this isn't a new point. Everyone's been talking about it all night, but the fact that neither Ronaldo nor Messi mm. have scored a knockout stage goal at a World Cup now, between them, it's 1,270 minutes. 
That's remarkable. Of knockout football without a goal, isn't and it? And yet, Champions League, they'll they'll happily bang them in. Yeah. You know, in the knockout stages, whatever. That's an awful lot of, you know, it's over 14 games, I think. Yeah. And yeah, just contributed to tonight. Do you feel the World Cup has lost something with those two exiting here? Well, it's a bit of a goat cull, isn't it? Yeah. But uh, well, obviously it's lost a lot of talent, but it's also lost a very tedious debate. So I think we can be happy about that. So I mean, neither of them are the best player of all time. There you go. But I mean, today might be the end of the Messi-Ronaldo thing, or it might be the beginning of the end, perhaps, in right. that they've been the two best players in the world for the last 10 years, mm-hmm. and at some point they won't be the two best players in the world anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, is Ronaldo going to win the Ballon d'Or just on the back? I say just on the back of winning the Champions League, but if there's a superstar, if Mbappe leads France to World Cup glory... If Neymar does it with... If Neymar does with it Brazil. Benjamin with Pavard. Brazil, Benjamin Pavard does it with France, so this... this Harry Kane this scores more it. penalties. Mm. Yeah. Wow, uh, a changing of the guard. There's history, history to be written quite literally in the next fortnight. And it, it begins on Sunday, actually, Tom, with two exciting games. Uh, at the Luzhniki in Moscow, Spain take on Russia, while in the evening game on Sunday in Nizhny Novgorod, Croatia are up against Denmark. Wow, I know which game I want to talk about, and it's not Croatia-Denmark. <laughs> Spain-Russia, Russia-Spain. Is there any way... The, the Russians, remember, supremely unfancy coming into this tournament, can halt the Spaniards. Let's hear from our friend Sasha Gurionov. The way that the Russians should approach this game is death or glory. I think they should stick to the 4-2-3-1 that started the Egypt game. And I think they should press Spain into mistakes. And we saw that Spain didn't really like it up them against Morocco. They also struggled uh, against Iran. However, I mean, it's worth pointing out that Iran and Morocco are two pretty decent defensive sides who have been playing in a particular style for quite some time, unlike the Russia team, which has adopted this style like two weeks before the tournament. But the energy with which the Russians played the first two games uh, was, I thought, was very impressive. Of course, afterwards, it's led to all the sorts of insinuations. Uh, but I think, as we saw against Uruguay, uh, you know, those Russians weren't quite superhuman and they were going to have a game off. Of course, the sending off didn't help of the right-back Smolnikov. But at the same time, Zhurkov had a rest. Golovin had a rest. Golovin was on the yellow. Uh, so they're going to come back in. And it is a game of their lives, as uh, Duba said today. Uh, they have absolutely nothing to lose. They should have nothing to fear. I think the crowd will be very supportive. And for Russia, it is an, it's sort of sailing into unknown territory, trying to win a playoff match at the World Cup. But if you look at the history, even the USSR team, the great USSR size of 60s and 70s and 80s, they only ever won two games after the first round. One was in 66 against Hungary, and the other one was in 82 in that 22nd group stage against Belgium. So for me, I think the Russians should approach this without any sort of fear at all, tear into the Spaniards, perhaps rattle them, and maybe see if they can get a game of it. If they lose, well, so what? If they win, this will be the greatest win in the history of Russian football. And if you look at the weather forecast in Moscow tomorrow, probably 2021, a bit of rain. The Russians should be able to put in that energetic performance that we're all hoping for. All right, so that's the weather in the Moscow region tomorrow. But what, what a huge game. This, what an amazing atmosphere they'll have at the Luzhniki, James. Yeah, I think if, what, two of their uh, three games in the group stages in Moscow. I think... Um, uh, Tiago Alcantara, the uh, Spain midfielder, was talking about this yesterday, saying we're not just going to be playing against 11 Russians. We're going to be playing against millions. Right. Of course, Spain have 
some history. They have, have experience of playing against host nations. Mm. South Korea, yeah. when they went out unexpectedly. And I, I'm going to say it's not beyond the realms of possibility that Russia could do them here. Spain have only won one game so far. It, well, they've only won one game in the, the group stages. Morocco very nearly had them had it not been for that highly controversial Aspaz goal at the death. Essentially, had Morocco had more favourable refereeing, they might have got the result against Spain. And if there's one thing we can expect Russia to have on Sunday, it's favourable refereeing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you look at Spain's defence, which has been the the cornerstone of their success in previous uh, major competitions. And its I don't think it's as strong as it was. We've seen sloppy errors, but also... Just uh, a lack of communication at times. They've conceded five already in their group. They've only kept two clean sheets in the last eight. And if Russia want inspiration, they only have to look back to November mm. when they played out a 3-3 draw. Yeah, they met, they played, Spain. it was 3-3. Spain needed two Sergio Ramos penalties to, to get a point or to get a draw in that. Are they going to get penalties easily tomorrow? I'm not so sure, Joe. <laughs> Possibly not. And that, it's worth noting that the teams that day... Of the Russian team, probably only Yuri Zhirkov will play here, whereas Spain, relative to what Russia put out, had a pretty strong team with their first-choice defence. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me at all if Russia could have a little bit of joy mm. against them. It's just whether Russia's own defence will cope with uh, Spain's attacking Well, movements. that's a good point, isn't it? Uh, when Sasha says that Spain don't like it up them, is that what he's talking about? That whole kind of defensive issue? Yeah, well, I think, as, as Jack was saying, they've looked very shaky defensively in the group phase I mean, they're letting five goals uh, in three games um, there were some mitigating factors in, in the game against Portugal in that one of the goals is a penalty one of the goals is a Cristiano Ronaldo worldy and then one of them is a is a, I was going to say a rare David De Gea error but they're getting a little bit less rare these mm. days but you know we'll, we'll, we'll put that one down as a one-off but against Morocco um, every time Morocco came at them they, they looked in trouble. You had the first goal where Andres Iniesta, Sergio Ramos getting a massive muddle on halfway. Khalid Boutaib uh, lollops through and scores. And there was another occasion um, later on in the half, um, a long throw caught them out. Uh, Hakim Ziyech with, with a long throw from the halfway line and Boutaib again gets in and it takes a, a save from De Gea to prevent him from scoring. You also, had the, you also had the weird sight of Gerard Piquet launching himself into a really needless two-footed challenge quite early on in the game. So there's clearly a little bit of of fragility there in that Spanish defence and you've got going up against them Artem Zuba who is the battering ram centre forward par excellence so if there is any fragility and nervousness in that back four then you know they'll they'll um, they'll be tested We're actually sat here talking ourselves into a scenario where we're suggesting that Zuba is a, a potent weapon that the Spanish should be very very worried about I mean, Spain pedigree wise that they should be all over the Russians tomorrow no? oh they should but if you look at Spain's form in the tournament to date and how mm. bad they've looked defensively um, and also how well Russia played in, their, in those first two matches um, yeah, against they, Saudi Arabia against and Saudi Arabia and Egypt but and and then against Uruguay, they they were very convincingly beaten three 0 having rested a, a number of significant players and had a man sent off as well. And having a man sent off, so it, it's hard to know how good this Russia team is. I mean, clearly Spain are the favourites, and and you tend to think that perhaps as we saw with with France, that getting into the knockout phase, they will just find an extra gear to go into. But there's certainly enough in Russia's first two performances and in the shakiness that we've seen from Spain to give Russia a bit of belief. Right? Do you believe, Tom? Call this, call it. I'm not sure. I believe that Russia will win, but oh. I think it will be. I think it will be an interesting game. Jack, I think a narrow Spain victory. James, I remember watching uh, 
South Korea knock out Italy in 2002. Wow. So anything can happen when when the hosts are in the in the knockout stages. So yeah, I'm gonna, I'm going to go with the uh, I'm going to go with the motherland. Are you? Yeah. Speaking of South Korea, by the way, mm. these were the scenes, or this was the noise of the scenes when they returned to to Seoul. <laughs> The players got off the plane, came into the terminal and were kind of arranged for a special welcoming party. But then people started throwing eggs at them and, this is really curious, Union Jack cushions. So, Jack, we'd spoken before, I think, about the whole toffee incident at the end of the 2014 World Cup. A listener wrote in and explained the toffee. Hopefully they can do the same. But a real shame, because Korea, South Korea, the way they finished the tournament was fantastic against... Yeah, Georgia. on a real high note with those late goals against Germany. Obviously uh, an unforgiving public here. Yeah. They, 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 they should have flown back to Mexico before going to Seoul. They would have That's got a hero's so welcome true. there. Yeah. yeah. I'm surprised that they would have been greeted with eggs and Union Jack cushions, assuming that that is an insult and not, yeah, not a form of, maybe of, we've uh, just, of gratitude. Yeah. But I think generally the thinking was that South Korea had ended the tournament really impressively. And, mm. you know, we, we won't forget that win over Germany for a long time, but tough crowd in Seoul, it would appear. Soul crushing. Soul crushing. Soul crushing. Um, oh, so Croatia taking on Denmark. That's Sunday evening. Let's, let's talk about that after this. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Croatia taking on Denmark Sunday evening. This knockout round has been so great so far that I bet this will be a belter and all. Although neither of these teams has conceded from open play yet at this World Cup. Not a single goal, neither of them. Both of them have uh, basically uh, had a penalty against them. Anyway, uh, producer Ben asked Nils Herald from uh, Danish Eurosport what the Danes' mood was going into this game. It's been like a civil war between uh, two camps. Uh, the one camp is saying it's great that we got through to the final 16. The other camp is uh, arguing that uh, we have been terrible to watch. Uh, we only have 20 good minutes against Australia. That's all. And uh, this game is kind of make or break for us. You know, it's like we have to show that we have something to give to the World Cup because if we go out with a with a small defeat and we haven't really done something, everybody will forget this World Cup uh, very fast. And trouble in Denmark is we have a big history, you know, in, in 98, for example. It was the same terrible group stage and we made two excellent games, uh, the one against Nigeria for one and the defeat against Brazil. And that's what we're measuring right now. You know, we, it's, it, it could be like 98. We hope it might be like 98, but there's a doubt creeping in now for what this team really can do. Nils, it's probably fair to say you're the most underwhelming side left in the competition. So how are you going to get the better of this Croatia team, especially Modric and Rakitic in midfield? Uh, I believe that we have to, um, as I said before, we have to uh, challenge them uh, up uh, against uh, their own defence, uh, try to get past that beautiful midfield they have. Uh, it's, a, it's a tough task, but we have to set something up. I suspect we're going to see a Danish team playing like they did against Poland in the qualifiers where we beat them with four goals and against Ireland, more on the flanks, fullbacks up running against their defence. That's the key for Denmark, to try to be more positive and uh, put more... Uh, 
into Christian Eriksen's abilities, you know, try to get him set up because he hasn't really done anything this World Cup. It's been a strange World Cup for Eriksen because he's been working so much in the defensive part of the field. But now we have to get him set up, try to get him creative, try to get some good stuff going up the field so we can get some uh, entertaining football from Denmark. Because I believe that's the key to beat Croatia. You have to beat them more or less on their own merits because they are very good coming the other way. Okay, so um, a more exciting, more entertaining Denmark, we hope, than the one we saw in their last game, that goalless draw with, with France. Croatia, though, look like they could be a bit special, huh? Without doubt. Uh, I think they were one of the, the teams of the group stages, obviously came through with maximum points, probably put in one of the performances as well with that 3-0 win uh, against Argentina. And uh, this is a very clinical uh, team. They've scored with five of their last six shots. They finish games well. Um, we've seen um, Dalic uh, make changes and not just disrupt the rhythm at all of this Croatia side. And with that midfield three, you'd expect them to, to have a lot that um, Denmark can't handle. So I think it's, it's, it is being billed as a, a Modric-Eriksson um, duel this game. Mm. But um, I think uh, yeah, Eriksson did actually. When we were talking about goals earlier, we, we didn't we didn't mention Eriksson's. Was it against Australia? That was a that was a fine finish. It certainly was. Croatia. You mentioned there the three 0 victory over Argentina, but also their last group game, two one victory over Iceland, despite making nine changes to the team. Mm. So uh, they got lots of lovely depth in that squad. As James was hinting at there, whereas Denmark are very much reliant on Eriksson to inspire them you look at the other attacking players there you know Yusuf Poulsen Pionisisto kind of middling players who can do something now and again but not very reliable Croatia just have a whole gang of midfielders you know when Modric isn't doing it, it might be Rakitic or Perisic they can bring on uh, Brozovic Kovacic they've got so many players who can conjure something even if it's off the bench and I think they're very durable they, they don't mind being patient I think all but one of their goals has come in the second half I would expect them to to soak up what Denmark have and and punish them. Low scoring, do you think, Tom? Well, Arga Herida, the Denmark coach, has said that Denmark are going to have more of a go than they have up to now. And we've mm-hmm. not really seen anything from them as an attacking force. And as you said, they've only scored a couple of goals so far. Um, I'm not sure that is the best way to go about it uh, against a team as gifted as Croatia with so many dangerous attacking players. If if grinding their way through games and keeping clean sheets has worked for Denmark up to now, I don't see why they would take the risk of, of trying to be more proactive against Croatia and obviously we hope they do because we want another exciting goal fest but I think for you know for Denmark's chances it might suit them to to keep it cagey to try and starve uh, Modric and Rakitic and Kovacic of, of the ball and space as much as possible um, yeah well so. you make a convincing case what do you think James I think the Croats will go through um, I think uh, it's been underplayed you know, not only the sort of institutional chaos going around this Croatian team and everything surrounding Modric and Lovren, but also the fact that they sent Nikola Kalinic home mm. um, after, what, the first game, and yet they haven't let that uh, ruffle their feathers at all. Very true. Um, and, you know, we've mentioned the, the technical ability of this side, but they're a physical bunch as well. And I think when you're playing as a team like Denmark, with the likes of you know, Simon Kier at the back, who are kind of, you know, big fellas... You know, when you've got a battering ram like uh, Mario Mandzukic in, in there as well, that serves them in good stead as well. So I, I, I think Croatia have enough to go through in this game. Jack? I agree. Couple All right, then. 2-0 win, maybe. OK. 
Very good. Well, that's Sunday's lineup. Uh, let's get the odds now on those fixtures. Producer Ben, as ever, has been speaking to Paddy Power. Thanks, Jim. By Lee Price, you're back. What a day of round 16 action that was, but uh, there's more coming up tomorrow. It's Spain versus Russia, Croatia versus Denmark. Let's uh, talk Spain Russia first. Are Russia going to do this? I don't think so, and I am wary of, of writing them off. They've surprised us throughout this tournament. Spain surely have to start playing football now. They've been indecisive in the group stages, but now's their time. The draw has opened up for them massively. Spain are odds on to win this one. Russia are a lengthy 11 to 2 for the victory. Uh, but we do find some value. Cherishev, who has scored three goals for Russia so far, plus an own goal, is 9-2 to two to score at any time. Like a bit of that. Over in Nishi Novgorod, it's uh, one for the purists. Croatia versus Denmark. Denmark were absolutely shockingly boring uh, against France. France were too, must be said. Croatia have been uh, pretty spectacular so far. Croatia must be favourites here. Yeah, massively. Denmark are definitely on my bad list. The one match I got to watch uninterrupted from my children, uh, and it was a nil-nil draw, and they were dire. Denmark are a lengthy 4-1 to one to win this. Croatia odds on at 5-6. to six. Modric, if you like him, is 7-2 to two for the goal. But I've got a funny feeling Denmark might play for another stalemate. And if you like either team to win on penalties, you can get 4-1 to one on that. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. It's 18 plus only. Begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Now, Tom, Jack, James, that's it for today's show. I know. But we will be back on Sunday. I say we in the broader sense, because clearly you guys are not on on Sunday's show, but you will be back later on in this uh, most exciting World Cup tournament. So I look forward to that. Thanks for being with us today. Listener, do return yourself as we round up all the drama of Russia, Spain and Denmark, Croatia. And in the meantime, you can also find us on Twitter at The Totally Show. And as you well know, we're on Facebook too. Excellent. Have a super Sunday, everybody. And we'll speak to you soon. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. Subscribe now and get the latest episode delivered right to your phone for free. Supporting your team at the World Cup can be a phenomenal experience. But then Beckham boots Simeone, Lampard's goal isn't given or someone puts on an England shirt and misses a penalty. The highs, more often than not, come with lows. And that's a little bit like life, really. So while we're all supposed to be buzzing with World Cup excitement and lapping up all this football, all that VAR and all those Nigeria kits, remember that someone close to you might be going through one of life's tougher times. Every day on average, 12 men take their own life in the UK. That's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. Scary, huh? But that's part of the problem. Many of us still feel mental health and suicide are taboo topics, and this can stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it most. That's why we're working with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. We here at the Totally Football Show believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the ups and the downs, the glorious wins and the embarrassing red cards, the good days and the bad. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provides a free confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. They've also got a website which is packed with the kind of info you need if you or any of your mates are having a rough one. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.